Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means more job opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset clause. Money for nothing. Good morning, and welcome to Monday's Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotrahora. Greece's banks will remain closed today as the expiring bailout spurs a wave of withdrawals. The euro sinks along with futures and crude oil as fears of a Greek exit mount. And the PBOC has cut rates for the fourth time since last November after Shanghai stocks plunged 7.4% on Friday. Well, Greece will introduce capital controls and keep its banks closed today after international creditors refused to extend the country's bailout and savers queued to withdraw cash, taking Athens' standoff to a dangerous new level. We'll get the latest on the situation from our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Then we'll take a look at the importance of Uber's Chinese backer as the ride-sharing service revs up for its IPO. Finally, our intern, Catherine Kwan, tells us how the extension of the MTR is changing the Sayingpun neighborhood. Alex Wong of Ample Capital is guest host today. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Renita. So, Alex, with the Greece situation spiraling out of control and another 7.5% drop in the Shanghai Composite last Friday, is it time now to prepare for financial turmoil? Well, I think for Hong Kong, probably uh, the situation will be better because we have already seen a sharp fall in Shanghai stocks uh, last Friday. And then the PBOs, uh, PBOC uh, reduced the interest rate during the weekend. I think the importance of this uh, is that um, the market probably will see it as a signal that uh, the authority want the market to stabilize. Uh, the stock market is stabilized. So that would help the sentiment in, in the part of China. So that will reduce the impact on Greece, uh, on Hong Kong. But Alex, still, I mean, if you look at sort of, uh, you know, the succession of the last two weeks, the week before, the Friday before, there was a drop of six and a half percent. Then there was some monetary policy instituted last week. Then there was another drop of three and a half percent. And then Friday's close, 7.4 percent. So is monetary policy actually doing the trick? Oh, I think uh, no. But uh, the point is that uh, it is giving some uh, psychological um, support to the market. And the market actually uh, fell so fast because uh, this is a um, market with very high leverage trading. So that's, that's why um, the, the, re- the leveraging process would be very quick and fast. Uh, it will be very quick and, and severe. So uh, once we stop this spiral, then probably we would see some uh, rebound from the very oversold condition. So I think uh, the importance is that uh, we stop the stop losses are selling and people when people feel comfortable they are, they will not rush to liquidate their position then that would help the market to rebound and you don't think that the probability of a grexit is going to overshadow the situation of monetary policy uh, in China, probably not, because we in China we probably had already uh, fallen so much, and I have said uh, the the situation depends on lots on the, those are leverage trading. Uh, so that 
I think uh, would be a different story. But for Hong, uh, for the um, local blue chips part in Hong Kong, that would be affected by Greece. Certainly, global financial markets are braced for a wave of contagion from Greece with expected heavy losses for southern European government bonds and regional stock markets as investors scramble to discount a possible Grexit that most had still assumed was unlikely as late as last Friday afternoon. On Friday, Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras surprised creditors by calling a snap referendum on what he said were the unacceptable terms offered to keep the country from bankruptcy. On Saturday, Greece's European partners shut the door to extending the existing credit lifeline beyond Tuesday night's deadline until after the July 5th referendum on the creditors' aid proposal. Here's uh, Greek finance minister Yanis Varoufakis. It had to do with three fundamental issues. The first one was that the prior actions recommended were uh, seriously recessionary and redistributive, yet again, redistributing burdens from those who, who could and should bear them to those who neither could nor should. The second reason concerned the financing. The proposal for financing the five-month extension period of the current agreement, uh, the, the, the funding proposal that was on the table by the institutions, was technically inadequate. The numbers simply didn't add up. And when we ask questions about, the, in particular, the utilization of parts of the HFSF 10.9 billion, which was there in order to recapitalize banks and strengthen them in view of the problem with the NPLs, we received an answer that involved the ASM, and that, as we know, effectively baked into this short-term arrangement a new program. Both technically and legally, that did not make much sense, and I'm sure that other member states would have a problem with it, Germany in particular. Varoufakis also said that the package offered no hope for Greece's emergence from the crisis. Thirdly, and most importantly, what was proposed to us did not contain any plan for giving, instilling hope in investors, both Greek and non-Greek, in consumers, in depositors, that this five-month period that was recommended, proposed to us, would be a period of consolidation and a period of overcoming the crisis. Instead, it was punctuated by one review after the other every few weeks, leading to an end sometime in November, December, without anything in sight that instilled confidence in anyone that we wouldn't be in exactly the same negotiation again with the threat of uh, impasse uh, deterring through backward induction today investors from doing their, what Greece needs, uh, which is to invest. On Sunday, the European Central Bank capped the amount of emergency financing that it extends to Greek banks at last week's levels, despite reports of further heavy deposit withdrawals over the weekend. Greece will keep its banks closed today and implement capital controls. Alexis Tsipras did not say how long the closure would last, but he assured people that their savings, salaries and pensions were safe. 
Are the Greeks prepared to accept a situation drastically different from what they had originally bargained for? International Executive Service Corps CEO Thomas Millis is the further, former ambassador for the United States to Greece. And here's what he told Mark Crumpton at Bloomberg. I think there's two different elements out there that are basically irreconcilable. Eighty percent of Greeks want to stay in the Eurozone, and that's a very, very strong sentiment. By the same token, probably a similar number uh, 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 don't want to see the austerity continue. And I don't see any real sign of uh, let up by the Troika on the kinds of things they're insisting upon. One of the key things, Mark, is that uh, the Greek, I think Cyprus needs to go back to his constituencies and say that he got some relief on the 175% of GDP debt burden. And uh, the Troika is not willing to do anything on that until afterwards, uh, until they've made a deal on these uh, basic elements on the table right now. The euro slid almost 2% as Greece's membership of the currency union hung in the balance. It currently stands at 1.09 to the U.S. dollar. Gold maintained its gains, its current value at $1,185 per ounce, and high-yielding currencies from Australia to Thailand slipped. Well, one of China's biggest ever foreign policy successes will take concrete shape today when delegates from 57 countries sign an agreement on the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank in Beijing. The multilateral institution, seen as a rival to the Western-dominated World Bank and Asian Development Bank, was initially opposed by the United States, but has attracted many prominent U.S. allies, including Britain, Germany, Australia, and South Korea. Other founding members include most Asian nations and countries from the Middle East and South America. But Japan and the United States are the prominent nations not represented in the bank, although China has said that it has left the door open for them to join. Well, let's bring in our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, who joins us now from Washington, D.C. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Renita. So, Barry, uh, let's talk about this potential Grexit that is looming, looming large. Who would you say is most likely to be affected in terms of uh, the other European countries? Well, uh, the people who will be most affected already are, are the Greek people. And uh, they're suffering because uh, they didn't expect any of this until the last few days when the ATMs ran out of money. And now capital controls and a referendum that may or may not be held next Sunday. So I think they're the biggest losers. As to what nations are going to lose, we know Greece as a nation will lose no matter what happens because uh, the recession is deepening. Confidence is almost very low. But the you know notch on effects of any kind of further move towards the exit could have unpredictable side effects in Italy, Portugal, throughout Europe, and certainly on those little Eastern European countries that neighbor Greece, like Bulgaria and Macedonia and Romania. Barry, uh, you know, this whole uh, notion of imposing capital controls and keeping the banks closed, uh, you know, Alexis Cyprus has assured people that their savings and pensions and salaries are going to be safe, but do you think it could actually have severe consequences? Yes, I do, Renita, because, sure, those pensions and everything else is safe as long as they're in the Eurozone. And that's almost a promise by the Prime Minister that uh, they're going to stay in the Eurozone. 
but they don't have any euros to print because the European Central Bank is way away in Frankfurt, and they're not going to give the Greeks very much money, and they want to keep their banks alive, but there's going to be tremendous uncertainty over the next few days. I'm not convinced, Renita, that we're going to have this referendum on Sunday because there must be some kind of climb down that would allow Tsipras to get out of this, uh, this jam that he, has, that he has created. And don't forget, it was only four years ago that another prime minister planned a referendum and had to cancel it three days later before it was held. So I think that precedent might apply again. So you think that the referendum might actually be canceled? I do, because it doesn't accomplish anything. Christine Lagarde said in Brussels on Saturday afternoon that what are the Greeks going to vote on? Because if it's yes or no to proposals issued by the troika, by the creditors, they're no longer valid because that agreement was never concluded. So she's got a valid point there. What is going to be the wording of this referendum? The opposition within Greece says, well, it's really on whether you want to stay in the eurozone or not. And that's an awkward situation for the prime minister, because he's telling people to vote no on whatever it is, but 80% of the people, as we just heard in that previous report, want to stay in the eurozone. So I think uh, Mr. Tsipras is very much on the defensive and probably looking up for a way out. And Christine Lagarde has said uh, as recently as a few hours ago that, you know, she wants to keep the door open. How realistic do you think this is, given the fact that the creditors don't seem to be backing down either? Well, I do think the door is open. It's um, closing, but there's a crack of light still coming through. The European Central Bank likewise says the door is open and that they can work something out. The pressure's on the Greeks now. Because if they want to go through with this, this pushes them further towards a Grexit. Miss Lagarde doesn't expect her money to come back Tuesday night, as promised. So Greece inevitably will join the ranks of Sudan and Cuba and Zimbabwe and other deadbeats that haven't paid back their loans on time. That's tolerable. But the IMF has a huge amount of money outstanding to Greece. So they want to be repaid. But they want to keep the communication lines open. Alex, you know, uh, do you expect that we will see a capital flight to safe havens outside the Eurozone? Uh, you mean, uh, yes, I think uh, in the meantime, in the short term, yes, of course. Uh, so people would bet uh, whether the situation would be, would be resolved. But the problem is uh, we, we, we are now, the, the market has not prepared for this uh, last week because uh, last week actually we see a quite good recovery in the uh, European stock market and also European bonds. So that means people are un- unprepared. So we would see some capital flight this week, of course. Where to? Um, right now, uh, U.S. bond. Uh, U.S. bond had uh, risen quite a lot uh, this morning already. And if uh, European markets go into mayhem today or later this week, how soon can we expect a trickle-down effect to Asia? Oh, um, uh, Asia is already affected the, uh, right now, uh, but the magnitude of the um, fall is not too much uh, because we are talking ab- uh, about um, a historical, I mean, no, no, a, a very long, long-term high in countries like Japan. So we are seeing a significant correction already. But uh, I think uh, all depends on what would happen. So people would not be 
to panic. But I think、uh, we would see some、um, impact in Asia right now,、uh, this week also. All right, Alex.、Yep. Thank you for that. And Barry, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, who joins us every Monday from Washington D.C. I was born in 1990 and have grown up with the Basic Law. Over the past 25 years, I learnt about one country, two systems, and gained a better understanding of mainland Hong Kong relations. I witnessed our return to the motherland and the successful implementation of the Basic Law, which provides us with unique strengths. With the Basic Law, I believe Hong Kong will continue to be prosperous and stable, forging ahead towards a brighter future. The 20th anniversary of the Basic Law promulgation. The time is now 8:19 a.m. and let's take a quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is down 1.97 percent this morning to 20,298. Australia's ASX 200 is. Index is also down three tenths of a percent to five thousand five hundred and eighteen, and Seoul's Kospi also down one point six eight percent to two thousand and fifty five. Well, Uber Technologies is getting a big Chinese backer as、uh, the ride-sharing service revs up for its initial public offering. Rick Carew is、uh, the Asia M&A and private equity reporter for the Wall Street Journal, and he joins us now on the phone. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us, Rick. So, tell us who is Uber's Chinese backer? Sure. So, Uber's、uh, received a big investment,、um, could be as much as a billion dollars, from Hill House Capital, which is a Beijing-based investment fund that manages over twenty billion U.S. dollars, and has been an early、uh, backer of some of the big Chinese internet companies, including Tencent and JD.com. And what what is the structure of the deal? In in what form、uh, is it actually backing Uber? So it's quite quite an interesting structure. Actually, what they're doing is they're buying convertible bonds、uh, that will eventually convert into shares of Uber once the company does an IPO. So the interesting feature of this is that it actually costs Uber more. The funding costs Uber more、uh, the longer they wait to have an IPO. So it's a it's a big indication that. Uber sees、uh, its its initial public offering, which will be a, a massive deal、um, taking place in the very near future. How significant would you say the backing is? In that, if Hill House pulled out, what would that mean for Uber? Well, there's a major、uh, race for capital going on、um, within China.、Um, Uber has been backed by Baidu, but、uh, both Tencent.、Um, And、uh, Alibaba are backers of its Chinese competitor, Didi Kuaidi, which is also in the process of raising capital from investors. We reported this last week that they're looking to raise two billion dollars、um, in its latest funding round. So both of the two companies are jockeying to try to try to secure、um, different investment capital, particularly from China, which is an important market for both. Now, when you say a ra- there's a race for capital, is it a question of you know the companies in China just wanting to be in on the next big deal, or is there actually a growing demand for this ride-sharing service、uh, on the mainland? Well, there's been a huge growth、um, for for、uh, being able to book、uh, rides by mobile phone in China.、Um, Uber is really. Try to capture the top end of the market.、Um, the taxi market has been dominated by Didi Kuaidi, the local, the local company. But they increasingly are looking to get into the higher end、uh, ride services, premium car services. 
And so that's where they're trying to spend their money and trying to grow. But the demand has been dramatic. Um, Uber says it's been much faster than its growth in the U.S. And um, it's of its top markets globally, China makes up, I think, um, a, a number of them. And when do we expect the IPO to happen? There's been no date set for the IPO. Uber is currently searching for a CFO, which would be a, a requirement before it could uh, could list shares. But I think a lot of people are expecting it to happen um, probably sometime in the next year or maybe two years at, at most. All right, Rick, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Rick Carew, and he is the Asia M&A reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Well, since December last year, the MTR's extension has made commute in and out of the island west much more convenient. But what else has the mass transit brought to the district? Our intern, Catherine Kwok, has been investigating how the streets, the people and businesses in the Saing Pun area have changed during the past six months. Let's listen to what she found out. If you visit the western districts of Hong Kong Island today, you'll see that many of the old garages and grocery stores have been replaced by new chain stores, restaurants, and apartment complexes. What has fueled this change? Midland Realty's senior sales manager, Toby Ma, points to the MTR's new extension. Just looking at the change in storefronts, you can tell the Soho culture is very evident here. As for clients, we focus mainly on white collars. More than half of them are expatriates, and many are from high-quality companies. After the announcement of the MTR, all the big developers have started projects in this area. And as many people sought to live around here, the average rent has also risen by around 10% in the past four to five months. I believe it'll continue to grow. This area used to be quite old. That was its only flaw. With the insertion of new energies, I believe the development in Island West will be greater than that of any other district. As Toby Ma observed, the MTR has made districts like Kennedy Town much more attractive to developers. Some of them have built high-end complexes like Lexington Hill and the Merton, bringing in mostly expats and white-collars in the neighborhood. Accompanying the development of these tall residential buildings is the emergence of organic groceries, bars, and Western restaurants. Had these new businesses also felt the impact of the MTR? Here's Janice Datu a floor manager at Kinsale Irish Restaurant on the new Praia. We actually opened last year, August uh, 1st, when we opened. The business is not that good. Usually people will go in the central, something like that, yeah. But after the MTR opened, you know, the business is really, really good. From Friday, Saturday, dinner time, you, if you want to book at least three days before, yeah. The cuisine is, uh, it's, it's like international food. So usually um, Western people, like, 60% Western people, 40% local people. My boss planning to get one more uh, bar here, near here. I think the place is not enough for, you know, so many people uh, trying to come. As Janice Datu noted, the MTR helped their business by bringing in new customers, with the majority being Westerners. But what does the picture look like for old businesses? Let's hear from Chao Sekfeng, 30-year owner of a famous ta chan tang, Cheng Hang Yun. I've been running this restaurant for around 30 years. Since the MTR connected over here, the number of customers has increased a little, mostly during holidays and weekends. 
I should consider myself lucky. I just signed a new contract and I'm not too worried. Next year may be a bit different though. If the landlord sympathizes with us as a small business, we could still afford a slight increase in rent. I know the rent around here is about $60,000 a month, but some landlords have already started hiking it up drastically. As society changes and circumstances shift, I know we won't be able to preserve traditional businesses like ours. If developers want our property, we don't really have the power to fight. The Island West MTR project has opened doors for property developers and new businesses to transform Kennedy Town from an old residential district to a new Soho. The happiness of some, however, goes hand in hand with the worries of others. Old businesses have just slightly benefited from the new transportation options bringing in more customers, but the inevitable rise in rent may eventually force them to close down. As the South Island Line heads toward completion soon, will we see similar changes in Wong Chukang and Aplei Chow? This is Catherine Kwok for Money for Nothing. Alex, uh, before we wrap up the show, you know, just coming back to the situation with the Chinese markets, I mean, the Shanghai Composite cracking 7% at the end of last week. It's also Mm. down 19% in nine days. Now, can you give our listeners an idea as to what that means in terms of the equivalence? For example, how many points down would that be on the Dow Jones? Oh, that that is actually very huge. Uh, we are talking about twenty percent pullback from the top. So that means um, if you ex- put it in Dow Jones, that means a three thousand something points. But uh, the point is, uh, the the index has rallied one hundred percent during the course of one year. So then that actually, um, if you put in the context of that kind of rally, then the correction actually is not that huge uh, as com- uh, as compared uh, to the to the to the method of the fall. I think is that why it's being taken so lightly, just because there has been this immense rally this last uh, year? Yes, because of the uh, huge rally last year. But uh, if you look at the uh, the speed of the fall, I think, uh, and and also uh, the valuation of the market, then you will not feel very comfortable because the small caps actually are very um, highly valued right now. And then uh, the support actually would not be that much. And as I've said, the market is in a high leverage situation. So that means uh, if the stock prices fall, then that that would trigger further demand for stop losses. So that's why I, I say um, today uh, would be very critical and the move during the weekend is uh, significant because the market would read it as a um, support from the authority to stabilize the market. What are you expecting? I think uh, we would see some strength initially because uh, last Friday actually we are overdone on this selling. Uh, the market fell too much because of stop losses. So uh, that would um, that means that we are from a very low starting point. So we would see some strength initially. But uh, today would be key because uh, whether the market would turn around, uh, turn down again, and uh, uh, probably on grid uh, situation or, or on stop losses again. So um, that if, if the market falls again today, then that would be very bad because uh, the 
policy help has come, and then that if that proved um, to be uh, helpless, um, then the market probably would go down further. Then uh, so today will be very critical. Today the market must stabilize actually in China. Certainly, we're going to have to see whether the policy help is indeed effective. All right, Alex, thank you so much for joining us this morning on Money for Nothing. That's Alex Wong, and he is the director of asset management at Ample Capital and our regular Monday guest host on Money for Nothing. The Nikkei is down 2% this morning to 20,280. Australia's ASX 200 index also down 1.84% to 5,434. And Seoul's Kospi also down 1.25% to 2,064. It's all in the red this morning. Gold currently stands at $1,184 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $62.64. And in currencies, one euro is currently worth 1.1 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 122.97 yen and one pound sterling buys you 12 Hong Kong dollars and 17 cents, one US dollar and 57 cents. I'm Renita Malhotrahora wrapping up for this morning's edition of Money for Nothing. A quick look at the weather forecast today. It'll be mainly fine apart from some isolated showers in the morning and very hot during the day. The temperature right now is 29 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 83 percent. It's time for the half-hour news summary with Samantha Butler. Five Hong Kong women remain in hospital in Taiwan after they were caught up in Saturday night's fire at a water park. The Immigration Department says the women, aged between 18 and 25, suffered burns. It sent four officers to the island to help the victims' relatives. Almost 500 people were injured in the fire in total. Here's our Taipei correspondent, Cindy Soi. There has been really no name list of all the victims because there's so many victims. What we do know is that several of them are not from Taiwan, including the five Hong Kong women, as well as about seven other foreigners, including from Malaysia, Singapore, Japan, and one Westerner whose nationality hasn't been identified, and several other uh, mainlanders. I think the authorities 